Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Well, we are in today our fourth Beatitude in our Beatitude series. And this is a Beatitude that I feel very, very passionate about. I'm excited about it today. We're going to jump right into the scripture in Matthew. It says this. Now Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In verse 6, what we're talking about today, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen. You know, I think a lot of times we think about righteousness and justice. Blessed are those uh, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and justice. We think about that kind of with our, our individual lives with God, right? Like, I want righteousness, God. I want to be holy before you. Well, I, I think that is part of what Jesus was saying when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount and sharing the, the Beatitudes with this audience. But what we have to understand is we're, we're going to do some word study today. So we make sure that we understand the scriptures the way Jesus meant them to be shared to the audience. And so we have to understand that the word righteousness in this verse can actually, in the Greek, be the same as the word justice. Everybody say justice. Okay. So most of the time in many languages, these two words were interchangeable, righteousness and justice. So, excuse me. So when... We begin to think about this verse in this dimension. This is not just about my personal relationship with God. It's about something more than maybe a better way to kind of look at this verse today is to say it like this. Blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right, for they shall be satisfied. Right? I want to read this Brian Zahn quote to you today. It says this. God has much to say about our personal holiness, but we are shown that personal holiness will translate to a hunger and desire for the word to be made right, not just our individual souls. If this is not something we hunger for and instead we are comfortable or neutral with the status quo, then it means we do not hunger or thirst for true righteousness. God says true righteousness always includes a global vision for righteousness. Amen? We see all throughout the scriptures, okay, all throughout the Bible, we see God put an emphasis on righteousness and justice. Now, I'm going to prove it to you. I've got several verses that we're going to fly through here, and you're going to see how much God cares about righteousness and justice. Jeremiah 22, 3 says this. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. <clears throat> Micah 6.8 says this, 
He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Psalm 146, 7. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Last one here, Proverbs 31, 8 says this. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. What are these scriptures telling us? They're telling us that God cares deeply about righteousness and justice. And you know what else is telling us? It's telling us that he has a part for us to play in expanding his righteousness and justice on the earth, right? And so today, I want us to talk a little bit more about that. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you have some friends in your life or family members, somebody that is a bit of a justice warrior. Anyone have, like, justice warriors? You've got some activists in your life, you know? I've got some of those people in my life. And when I think about a justice warrior in my life, I actually thought about my dad. And my dad did something that now I think is hilarious that I did not think was funny back when he was trying to get justice in this situation. Um, but this is what happened before Pastor Pradeepin and I were even dating. Okay, we were friends, we had a crush on each other, we liked each other, and we were just hanging out. Before we were dating, Pastor Pradeepin decided to prank me with his friends. And so we're in Kansas, and he says to me, hey, Amrita, let's go snipe hunting. And I was like, what's snipe hunting? And they were like, don't worry about it, just come, it's just an adventure. And I was like, okay. So they take me in the car in the dark to a back road in Kansas, and they say, okay, get out, everybody get out, and Amrita, start looking for a snipe. I was like, what's that? I don't even know what I'm looking for. And they were just, just look. When you see it, you'll know it's a snipe. So I'm walking around in the dark looking for something. I don't know what I'm looking for. And my husband and his friends are pointing and laughing at me. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, snipe hunting, if you don't know, I'm about to save a lot of you some heartache, okay? Snipe hunting is just that. It's where you take your friend out and you tell them to go look for snipes, but there's no such thing as a snipe. So, suckers. You know, like, that's what happened to me. And so, uh, they just laughed at me. Well, let me just tell you this. So, I thought it was a little bit funny, but um, my father does not, did not uh, like practical jokes. And he loves his baby girl very much. So put the two and two together. Well, my dad found out about this snipe hunting adventure, and he was not happy. And so he decides that he is going to write a letter to my friend Pradeepin at the time. And I had no idea that this letter was going to be written. Um, but you guys, I went back into the archives, and I found this letter. Do you want to hear it? Okay, here goes. It says this. Hello, Pradeepin, good evening. You do not want to hear that from a dad. This is Amritha's father. I'm sending you this letter man to man. Because, for the respect of my, because of the respect my daughter has toward you. We received disturbing information from a friend of Amritha's. Amritha will be upset with me for confronting you regarding her being made the butt of a joke this weekend. Young man, dot, dot, dot. There is a difference between a prank and being the butt of a joke. To be left out in the cold and not be brought into the prank within a few minutes is emotionally cruel and insensitive. You apparently do not care about your friendship with my daughter as you are willing to set her up in a joke that would have people laughing at her. 
How do you expect to be a trustworthy friend when you appear to be more than willing to set my daughter up at her expense? How can you ask for trust when you appear to not be able to demonstrate trust? My counsel to my daughter, get this, my counsel to my daughter is to separate herself from you and your friends. For this unfortunate event, disappointed Dan Miller. <laughs> Can you imagine getting that letter? Like, we weren't even dating. We were just friends, you know? And then, I didn't know this letter happened, so then when this letter happens, I'm mortified. Because I'm like, Dad, you just ruined my chances with this guy. I actually like him. And my dad was like, I didn't really think about that. I don't really care, you know? And, uh, but my dad wanted justice, right? He wanted justice. Now, if you're, if you're interested or curious what happened after that, Pradeepin is just like, um, like, what's up with your dad? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. So I just said, just call him and apologize. Don't say anything else, just call him and apologize. Well, he did, and my dad forgave him, and years later, he approved of us getting married. <laughs> Everything worked out fine. If your relationship can stand that before you even get together, you're gonna make it, okay? You're gonna make it. But my dad, he wanted justice. What we have to understand is that God created us to be image bearers on the earth. He is the one that decided what is going to be right and wrong, what is going to be righteous and unrighteous. God decided that, and he's asked us as his image bearers to advance his kingdom with the standard of his righteousness and justice. Amen? And so today, I want to look at this a little bit more closely. I think what we have to realize is that even though God is the one who determines what is right and wrong, we decided as people at some point to begin to redefine righteousness and justice on our own. And what happened is humanity began to separate itself from God. And when we separate ourselves from God, we begin to be a little bit more confused about what righteousness and justice really is. And we, become, we begin to have our own definition. And I, I, I have to really begin to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, do we ache for the world to be made right? Do you ache that brokenness would be restored and healed? Do you ache for injustice to stop being ignored on the earth? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice? You know, I think that things have gotten so convoluted and so confusing, and our deals have been confused, our ideals have been confused with the truth of God's word, that we're actually not sure anymore. And we struggle with issues of how to help or who to bring into the borders of our nation from people who are fleeing from war-torn nations. Do we do that or do we self-preserve? What does that look like? For, for this whole Beatitude series, Pastor Pradeep and I have been talking about how we struggle to, to just sort of make fun of or put down people who can't help themselves. And to be really honest, it, things have gotten so political and so divided and so confused that we don't even know what side of racism to stand on anymore. And we see that we have begun to change our definition, God's definition and standard of righteousness and justice and make it 
our own. Now, I'm about to put up something uh, here on the screen, just a second. Um, but uh, whenever I want to see injustice, I mean, not that I go look for this, but all I have to do is go to Facebook. Anybody else? If you want to see some unrighteousness and injustice, go to Facebook. Well, I'm about to put up a, a, a Facebook picture here in just a second, but before, before we do, I just want to say this. Um, this, this is a, my husband made a video for Facebook inviting people to come to Kalos Church. I don't know, many of you have seen those ads, right, on Facebook before. So he made one of those. A lot of times people will hate on those ads, and we just kind of ignore them. Sometimes we have to delete things or whatever. Well, something happened, and a comment was made in this, in this last one that really struck me. And I put this up not to make fun of anyone, but for us to see what is going on with righteousness and injustice and how important it is that we not be indifferent about it, okay? So this, this is a little bit funny, but also kind of serious. So uh, this is the comment that was made on this video. Pastor Pretty Panjiva is a brown supremacist, and this church is a front for his nationalist anti-white movement. And this really sweet guy from our church said, well, as a white person who attends this church, I can say it's 100% not a brown supremacist church, nor is it anti-white in any way. All people are welcome at Kalos, just the way Jesus intended it to be. If you don't believe me, you should come and see for yourself. In which, which I love that this was such an inviting person, right? Like this is a this is a Christ, this is a good Christ-like person. Whoever you are, well done. Okay, and then this person responds and says, "I've been white longer than you. I know a hate group when I see one." Now I do not know uh, what that means to be white longer than, unless you know each other's birthdays. Like maybe there was a private conversation I didn't see. But this is the situation. We're confused about some things that have gotten twisted up and it's just, it's just made us begin to be convoluted about what God's righteousness and justice are. And I, I, I put this up here so that I can say in front of this sort of comment that Kalos Church is excited and welcome welcoming all nations and all tribes and all people to worship God together. Amen? Amen? This is who Jesus is. And I love God. And I love that the heavens are populated with all kinds of people. Amen? And so today, we have to acknowledge and we have to admit that our definition of righteousness and justice have been informed by our culture and not the word of God. And so today, what I want to do, I'm passionate and excited about this, I want us to understand biblical righteousness and justice. Okay, you ready? Number one, righteousness and justice is about everything being made right. Do you know that the Hebrew word for righteousness is, is the Hebrew name is tezekah. I'm not going to make you say it because it took me a long time to be able to say this word. I'm probably still pronouncing it wrong. But this is the definition of righteousness for us. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationship between people. Everybody say right relationship between people. This is our definition of godly righteousness. It's treating others as the image of God with the God-given dignity they deserve, right? And justice, the Hebrew word for justice is called mishpat. Everybody say mishpat. 
Now, there's two ways that we can look at the word mishpat. The first one is this. Sometimes justice, mishpat, in this way, means having a consequence for an injustice. So if you steal something from a department store and you get in trouble and there's a consequence, that can be mishpat. But most often in the scriptures, mishpat is not that definition of justice. It's actually this definition of justice. It's called restorative justice. And this is what this is. Restorative justice is seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them, taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and change social structures to prevent injustice. Essentially, righteousness and justice, according to the word of God, is a radical way of living life. Amen? God has asked us to advance his kingdom with his definition of these two words. Now, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus is talking, and he says this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is kind of crazy because the teachers of the law and the Pharisees were the Christian people, were the people who thought they knew about God and what he was saying and about Jesus. And here Jesus is saying, wait a minute, nope, it's got to surpass what they're saying. Sometimes as the church and sometimes as Christian people, we don't have it all right. Jesus is saying your understanding of righteousness and justice, it's got to surpass it. You know, I know a lot of people who are like activists. Anybody have any activist friends? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're an activist, you're an advocate. You love to advocate for the vulnerable and for different causes in the world. And I've noticed a couple things that happen, I think, even within the church community, is that these people, because they're not doing activism totally right, there's, some, there's flaws in it, right? But a lot of times what happens is we just sort of like label these people as bleeding hearts and we just kind of put them off to the side and the rest of us go on living. But I just want to say this. Listen, if you, are, if you are somebody that is advocating for injustice and for vulnerable people, and you're doing it in a prayerful, biblical way, not perfectly, but you are doing it with Christ in mind, more power to you. Jesus says in this beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those of you that love to advocate, for you will be filled. He calls you blessed. He calls you Makarios. Congratulations. Way to go. And for those of us who just really are a little bit more complacent, we don't like to make a ruckus, we just like status quo, God, Jesus is not calling us blessed in this scripture. And so as I look at this, I began to study, and we have to realize that the Pharisees were constantly, the, the, again, the Pharisees were the teachers of the law, the Christian people. They were constantly worried about who's in and who's out. And most of the time, they decided, and sometimes we still decide today, who's in and who's out. And what do I mean by who's in? Well, the question is, who, Jesus, inherits the kingdom of heaven? Do you know that Jesus did not make this a complicated answer? He specifically says in the Beatitudes, who's in who inherits the earth? It's the poor, it's the vulnerable, it's the meek, it's the grieving, people in sorrow, it's the hungry, it's the persecuted, it's the pure in heart. We're about to get to those beatitudes in the next few weeks. It's those people. And the Pharisees, I believe, they weren't confused about what Jesus was saying. They didn't like what he was saying. It was very difficult for them, and sometimes for us, we have to be honest, for us to realize that it's not the people that have it all together who inherit the kingdom of God. 
It's the people who don't. It's the vulnerable. It's the hurting. It's the poor. It's these people. Jesus keeps trying to get us to pay attention. These people will inherit the kingdom of God. You shall be filled if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, I don't know if you've ever said this, but how many of you have ever said the phrase, I did not sign up for this? Anybody say that? Maybe you started a job and you got the job description and you accepted and then something came out of the blue and you were like, I did not sign up for this. You know, or maybe you got married to a spouse and they leave their clothes all over the floor and you just have to keep picking up after them. You know, it's like, I did not sign up for this. He's not here today. I get to say whatever I want. I get to say whatever I want. Or maybe you bought a house, right? You, you buy a new house and uh, everything starts breaking. You know, you're like, what in the world? My friends, Andrew and Rachel Jennings, bought a house a few years ago, beautiful home in Renton. And they get there and within just a few, week, a few weeks of buying their house, the, there was a leak in the water main. Okay, which is like a big deal. It costs thousands of dollars to fix the water, the leak in the water main, but even more on top of that was gonna be another couple thousand dollars just to dig the hole to get to the water main. And so they just decided, you know what, we're not gonna spend money on that, but we're gonna dig our own hole. And they dug this deep, giant hole in their front yard. And I mean, they, they have blood, sweat, and tears just to dig that deep to get to the water main. And I know that there were days that they were like, we did not sign up for this. You know, I think this is how we treat Christianity sometimes. I want to choose this part of Christianity, but not this part of Christianity. We, we look at Christianity like we order food off of a menu. We say, I'll take going to church twice a month. I'll take a weekly small group. Hold the issues of racial injustice. Hold the advocating for the poor. Hold all of the social justice issues. I don't want to have anything to do with that. My Christianity is these things. I think this is what we saw the Pharisees, the religious leaders doing, and Jesus began to speak to that. And he said, in all of its entirety, all of you need to advocate for righteousness and justice. Now, we have to have the right theology about this. I want you to read, read this quote with me. If our theology of righteousness included a restorative justice, we would see the fruit of that theology in our actions. If we believe God is a restorer God who is seeing his creation to its intended right useness, then we will follow. We have to understand that there is a relational component to righteousness and justice. We see that um, the definition, remember, of righteousness is a right relationship between people, treating people with godly dignity, right? God really cares about wholeness in our relationships. He really cares that we would begin to be healers of one another. He really cares that there would be restoration and integrity in our relationships. Before God did anything, he established relationship with us. If we are not advocating for justice and righteousness in a way where relationships are being restored, then we're doing it wrong. It matters deeply to people that we do this. And you know who our greatest example is? Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and he died a sinner's death to restore right relationship with his people. We were in our sin. We were in our ugliness. And Jesus went to the cross to restore relationship with us. Isn't that good news? This is the crux of the gospel. 
So it means this, unrighteousness is when, when relationships are severed or violated or broken. I was remembering a book that I read a few years ago. The book is called I Am Malala. And it's about this, uh, this young woman who grew up in Pakistan. And in Pakistan in the early 2000s, the Taliban was taking rule over all of Pakistan. And this young girl was 11 years old. And what was happening is the Taliban decided that no girls can attend school anymore. And so they started shutting down girls' school. They wouldn't let girls go to school. You were in danger if you allowed your child that's a little girl to go to school. And this, this girl, Malala, at age 11, she became an activist against this. She was like, no way. Girls need to be educated. And so she gave her first speech about this at age 11, where she continued to be an activist for girls being able to go to school. That in 2012, when she was 15 years old, the Taliban targeted her and got on her bus on the way home from school and shot her in the face. This is a true story. You can read about it. And she actually... Uh, barely survived, but after years of reconstructive surgery and rehabilitation, she survived. And she not only survived, but she continued her work in advocating for girls to be able to go to school. In fact, she was one of the youngest people in all of the world to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. And I was thinking about this because this is what she says in her book. I love this quote. She says this, they thought that the bullet would silence me, but they failed. Weakness, fear, and hopelessness died. Strength, power, and courage was born. They thought they could silence my voice, but instead, out of that silence came thousands of voices. Today, as an organization, Malala actually is in hundreds of different countries advocating for girls to be able to go to school because did you know that there are still 130 million girls that do not attend school in our world? God is making all things right. This is what it means when we look at Jesus and his righteousness as in, and his justice, do you realize in Revelation that Jesus says, I will wipe away every tear? He says, death shall be no more. And he says, I am making all things new. Listen, we should be motivated because we know the end of the story. So we should be motivated to advocate for righteousness and for justice. So my prayer for us today is that we would ache we would hunger and thirst that the world would be made right. Amen? Amen. Number two, righteousness comes from God, not from us. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Listen, God sets the standard for morality. And his righteousness, I want you to get this, he sets the standard for morality, what is right and what is wrong, and his righteousness is what we have to put every injustice up against. He is the standard. And the reason we have to really pay close attention to this is because some of us, we see all over the world, people changing standards and deciding what the, the standard for righteousness and justice is on their own, and it's not God's standard. And what happens when that happens is it becomes very inconsistent what is right and what is wrong. And we get really confused, and we get really convoluted, and then we begin to think our ideals are truth and the word of God, and they're not. So we have to recognize that righteousness and justice must be defined and it must be his standard that we operate in when we look at all of this and advance his kingdom in these ways. 
uh, actually in Judges, Judges 21, 25 actually says this because God is warning his people for not just doing their own thing and seeing things in their own eyes. It says this, at this time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each of his own inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. You know what happened? First of all, we got to realize God's ways are higher than our ways. And you know what happened to the Israelites? They lost their way. They decided to make their own definition of what is right and wrong. They decided to have their own standard, and it wasn't consistent. And they began to worship different gods. They worshiped Baal. They essentially started destroying themselves. And you know what God had to do? He had to calm down with his wrath on the Israelite people. Because he knows that the very best thing for us is his standard. And we have to understand that we have to have kingdom consistency in our advocacy of righteousness and justice. Everything has to be put up against God's ethical and moral standard. Let me ask you this question. Whose justice do you want to follow? Do you want to follow America's justice? Russia's justice? Participate the, the levels of the poor justice or the rich? What justice do you want to follow? Have you ever seen someone maybe organize some sort of activist group or uh, they were an activist or something like that and it, it just sort of fizzled out eventually? Or sometimes it even just ends up causing more harm than good? This is why we have to make sure that our righteousness and justice is defined by God and that we are working to, with his standard, not our own. Let me put it this way, okay? Follow me here, okay? I read this week that praying mantises eat their mates. I also read that pandas who have twins keep one twin and throw out the other one. Isn't that weird? I'm getting somewhere, just follow me. I took my daughter to the zoo last week and I said, Nala, um, what are you excited about to see at the zoo? And she said, a mouse. And I was like, girl, I'm not taking you to the zoo to see a mouse. <laughs> So then I was thinking about, like, where, where do you see a mouse in the zoo? And I remember when I was young, I, I remember seeing a giant python snake in a, in a zoo exhibit, and it was eating, like, this mouse and this, like, giant rat. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how am I going to explain this injustice to my three-year-old? Because to a three-year-old, that feels like injustice. But here's the deal. Here's what I want you to understand. For most of us, this injustice of, of throwing away one twin, of praying mantises eating, it, that injustice is not an injustice because we understand that that's how the animal kingdom works. But if humans did that, we would have a problem. It would be unjust. It would be unethical. It would be immoral. Why? Because God set the standard and the distinction between animals and humans. So if you say, I believe, I don't believe that there is a God, but I believe that there is injustice, then you are longing for God. And you are longing for a judge who will decide what is right and wrong. And there is only one king fit to be the judge of righteousness and injustice in the world. Amen? Amen. So it's very important that we understand that a cry against injustice is a cry for God. We need God's definition and standard of morality and what is right and what is wrong. You know, a few years ago during the pandemic, 
um, our church, Cable's church, we actually held what was called a prayer rally. It was right after George Floyd had been killed, and we held a prayer rally here in uh, Bellevue with another church. And we decided, hey, you know what? This, things are going crazy right now. If you guys remember this time, remember the pro, like everything was going crazy. And so we just said, what if we prayed? What if we just brought everybody in the city together, and what if we just prayed? And so we decided to throw this prayer rally. Well, the, the week leading up to it, I mean, our phones were blowing up, our emails were blowing up, and everybody was just like, what stance do you guys take? We're not coming to this prayer rally. We don't know what side you're on. And all we said is, hey, all we're going to do is pray. There's not going to be preaching. There's not going to be teaching. We're just going to invite the kingdom of God to come into this situation. Well, what side are you on? Are you going to be talking about this with racism and that with racism? What are you doing? And we just said, listen, we're on the side of racism is bad, but Jesus is good side. And we're going to pray. And you know why we did that? Because we wanted to operate with the kingdom standard, with God's standard, not with a political standard, not with a political side. So you know what we did? 2,000 people in our city came together at the park in downtown Bellevue, and we prayed. And we asked for God to come with his righteousness and his justice into the issue that our nation was and is still facing. Amen? And it was a beautiful day. We made our standards God's standards. Righteousness comes from him, not from a political side. Number three, righteousness and justice mean making other people's problems your problems. Has anyone ever said to you, stop making everyone's problems your problems? Mind your own business. Well, I am telling you today as your pastor, you need to start making some other people's problems your problems. Remember our definition of justice? It is seeking out the vulnerable. God isn't saying, wait till they come to you. He says, seek them out. They exist. They're all around you. Go to them. Be hungry and thirsty for righteousness and justice on behalf of these people. I want to read to you two quotes, uh, just a little bit lengthy, but they're just powerful quotes in what God wants us to do. This one by Glenn Packham says this, The wounds of the world have come to the surface. We see the wounds of racism, of exploitation and greed, of violence and war. The best the world has to offer is an eye for an eye, another wound for my wound. But Christians can carry on the mission of Jesus by being healers. Now look at this quote by N.T. Wright. It's beautiful. We need Christians, people to work as healers, as healing judges and prison staff, as healing teachers and administrators, as healing shopkeepers and bankers, as healing musicians and artists, as healing writers and scientists, as healing diplomats and politicians. We need people who will hold on to Christ firmly with one hand and reach out the other with wit and skill and cheerfulness, with compassion and sorrow and tenderness to the places where our world is in pain. We need people who will use all, all their God-given skills to analyze where things have gone wrong, to come to the place of pain and to hold over over the wound, the only medicine which will really heal, which is the love of Christ made incarnate once more. Your smile and mine, your tears and mine, your patient analysis and mine, your frustration and mine, your joy and mine. God wants us to be healers. He wants us to be advocates of righteousness and justice. I'm going to just be honest with you. It's going to be costly for you to stand up for injustice and to seek out the vulnerable. It's going to be costly. And you know what it's going to cost you the most? It's going to cost you your reputation. Because when you begin to hold to the standard of righteousness of Jesus and what the, the Bible says, when you begin to hold your finances and your sexuality and your politics and all these things to the standard of Jesus Christ, the world will not understand. But I'm telling you, that the word of God endures. It endures anything and everything, and it endures for all time. 
Amen. Amen. So I encourage you. I encourage us to make sure that we are aching, hungering, and thirsting for righteousness. For what is God promised? We shall be filled. I encourage you to make sure that your standard and your understanding of righteousness and justice is biblical. Don't get confused. Don't let ideologies and persuasions and media change that. Make sure it is the standard of the scriptures. And the last one, you need, you need to seek out the vulnerable. You need to make some other people's problems your problems. Amen? I want to end with this quote this morning. Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. Jesus, we're like the audience that was at the Sermon on the Mount. You were, you were preaching the Beatitudes. And Lord, for many of us, it doesn't make sense. This is like an upside-down kingdom. It's completely countercultural. But Lord, I'm praying for our church, for the people in this room, that we would begin to understand what it means to inherit the earth, to advocate for righteousness and justice on the earth today. Lord, I know that there are some people sitting in this room right now that are called to seek out the vulnerable, to make some major changes and shifts in their life. Lord, you promise that we will be filled. You promise that the, the, those that are in injustice will be filled. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your teaching and for your word. We're honored. We respect your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.